And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Today we're going to be talking about data. Data is a really valuable asset. I know a lot of companies that do a lot of things to monetize that data. I used to have a friend in Kansas City, that's his whole business, like helps people that have weird data figure out how to make money off of it. Well, our guest today has figured out how to make a lot of money off of some data. So we're going to talk more about his company today. That's Alex Rawitz, founder and CEO of a company called Demo. Um, before we get started, I do remind everybody that finding software developers does not have to be difficult. If you use Fullscale, check us out at fullscale.io. We help build a software development team that's dedicated directly to you for 60-70% less than it usually costs to build a development team. So, uh, Alex, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm excited to be here. So, can you use data to pay the bills? <laughs> uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think that the short answer is kind of yes. Um, kind of? I think that it pro probably, yeah. I think that, that um, you know, the, there's valuable data and there's less valuable data. Um you know, if you want to use a crude analogy, uh, you know, there's people have always talked data is the new oil. Um, but, you know, there's different quality of oil and, you know, you have to refine it and you can make different products from that oil. So um, some of it's really valuable, some of it's less valuable, and it kind of depends what data you're talking about. So tell us a little more about Demo and, and what you guys do exactly in regards to data. Yeah, so I'm I'm really actually a part of two organizations. Um, one, I'm a co-founder of Demo, and we're building some infrastructure. I'll tell you a little bit about that. And second, I'm part of a company, Digital Infrastructure Inc. I'm the COO there, and we're building products on the Demo infrastructure. So what okay. are we building? Um, Demo is a way, it's an open, connected vehicle platform. Um, really interesting. Cars, especially modern cars, produce about 25 gigabytes of data per hour huge holy huge, huge shit of data yeah um <laughs> you know they're packed with sensors and most people have probably seen this today uh, you know you, your car has an infotainment system but just about everything in your car is connected yeah now and so that car is you know people call them data centers on wheels but you need to get that data somewhere so um all the automakers have built their own connected vehicle platform and all that refers to is how does the data go from the car to the ford servers or the car to the Toyota servers. Um, we're building things a little bit differently. We're basically building an open one. So you can connect any car, Ford, Toyota, Tesla, you can connect any car. And then it doesn't just go to one automaker servers. It goes to an open network where any developer can pay for that data and build on top of it. So is your, is your goal to sell that to the manufacturers or this is kind of like an aftermarket, you know, platform thing for whoever needs it? There's a couple of goals. Um, it's more of the latter. Um, one, in one sense, we, you know, our company might package up all of this big aggregate data and be able to sell it back to a manufacturer or to an insurance company or one of the many companies that buy aggregate vehicle data today. But 
and and really where we think the like leveraging data conversation is going is that user control of data is actually the much more valuable route. So as a very simple example, like what can we enable through demo that we really want to enable? It's a huge consumer benefit. Um, Carvana, Vroom, lots of companies, they'll buy your car site unseen. They'll say, you got a Toyota RAV4, 25,000 miles. Like, okay, that's probably worth about $40,000. But if you have the data, all the data that that car has been generating for the last two years, they can make a really informed decision about the health of that car and pay potentially thousands of dollars more for the car. Company knows they're buying a good asset and not a broken down car. Users getting paid a heck of a lot more because they're actually able to share the data with the person buying it. And we think that the future of um, leveraging data actually comes down to putting consumers in control of their own data and allowing them to, you know, take it to a insurance company or car manufacturer or, or, or use car marketplace and put that data to work. So, so we already do this in vehicle sales today, right? Like we use Carfax reports and things like that mm -hmm. that look at the history of the car and how many owners there were. Carfax, and... interestingly, they see the average car. They have about seven data points on the car. So yeah. they might have some service receipts, maybe some title transfers, yeah. but like they don't know how the car was driven no. or how the components are holding up. They don't, none of that. You're absolutely right. But the, you know, I worked in automotive for a long time and, and I definitely mm -hmm. know that the, the few things that Carfax does do are really important, right? They like know oh, how many totally. owners there are, has the car been in an accident and things like that, but they don't really know like you know, did you slam on the accelerator every time you drove and then broke as hard, you know, as hard as possible and drive like a madman, like we're getting your oil all, changes done on all the different things. Yeah. Like they don't know any of that, right? They don't, they don't really know any service history. I, I know they try and get some service data from some of the dealers. It's a, it's a patchwork of things, but it, it would be, it would be great to have more of this data to feed to somebody like Carfax and all these other people would, would probably use this data. Yeah. But the the challenge is you have to collect this data for a lot of years, right? So it's like the problem you're trying to solve. It's like, how do you start solving this problem and collecting this data for like a very, very long period of time for millions of vehicles, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll address that problem. I think that there's also another interesting problem there, which is like, where is Carfax going to get the data from who? And there's two routes. One, you go to every automaker and you try to convince them, hey, we can make the Carfax better if you give us some data. So you go to Ford and you sit in the boardroom. And by the way, the, these conversations with <laughs> that, those take three years of enterprise, yeah. you know, business to business stuff. Um, and maybe you get Ford, maybe you don't. And then you have to go do it with 25 other automakers. And the route that Demo is going, so we looked at that route and said, hey, some people have tried that um, to build the like big aggregate data platform um, across automakers by like convincing them all to join in. It doesn't work out. So we decided what can we do to go directly to users? How can we make it? And that's why we built the demo mobile app, make it easy for somebody to collect their own data. So now what we're doing is we've built this network. There's 25,000 people so far. And, you know, we're still, uh, 18 months into the mobile app being out there only, um, 25,000 people who are connecting their vehicles and starting to store their own data. And so, yeah, how do you start when the benefit is largely like, okay, it's going to pay off in three years of yeah. time? <laughs> um, what is the value to people? Well, we found a couple of things. One, there are at least as far as early adopters, there's a lot of people that just kind of like looking at their data. They like to see, oh, cool, like my engine, you know, throttle position was 
doing this when I was, you know, accelerating. And there's a lot of people that just get excited about that. How do you make it more palatable to like the average person? It's really just about like bringing them useful insights as, as quickly as possible. Um, so, you know, you can scan for error codes through our app. You can see some, you know, even some light trends a couple of weeks deep, like, okay, I'm starting to see how my miles per gallon might change, you know, on, in the winter versus the summer or like when there's more people in the car, things like that. Really just trying to give some light observations so that people don't feel like, okay, I've got to wait now three years until I have all this data saved up to do something valuable with it. So, so how does this work? Do you have them install like one of those ODB2 things mm-hmm. or like how, how, how do you actually collect this data? Yeah, there's a couple of options. So um, for people who have really modern cars, Teslas, they can download the email mobile app, a couple of clicks, you get connected through the Tesla API. Um, we can leverage some other middleware. And so one thing that we've done is kind of built up a stack of different integration methods, we call them. Uh, we have some other middleware that we leverage to connect to other modern vehicles with different APIs. Um, and then we now have two actually different hardware makers that are building ODB2 dongles for vehicles. And one interesting thing is like, we don't manufacture those ourselves. We are, again, in the spirit of like creating this maximally open and maximally large data ecosystem in the auto industry, what we're doing is we're signing up hardware makers to build their devices for our platform. So um, we have a company out of Denmark and now a company out of uh, Hong Kong that are building these devices. You order one, you plug it into your car, you pair it in a mobile app and you see all your data. I think one of the challenges with data is people don't know what to do with the data, right? So I think part of the value that you guys have to provide is it's like you need insights, like actual usable information, like the signal from the noise of the data. And I'm going to guess that's a problem you guys sit around and think about every day, right? Yeah. You stop the average person on the street and sit and ask them, do you want to store all your own data and manage that? And be like, ugh. Sounds like sounds like a chore. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, no, I don't know they, how. Like, no, they just scary. want to know when they need to replace their spark plugs. Exactly. So they don't care. You know, know like they like tell me what to do. Tell me what to tell do. Tell me what this, to do. You know? Tell me what like what benefit like. And so you know, for that, like, yeah, we want to bring our 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 philosophy on that is one. We want to bring people um, insights through our app about like how do, how do you become a better car owner if you're going to boil it down um, to um, we want to show them what's possible when you share that data with other providers. So people are used to actually the, the insurance companies have been using a little plug in dongle for years to like give mm-hmm. people a discount. They actually really suck. We've spoken to most of those insurance companies. They do not use the data very effectively. They look at like three to five data points and just kind of like fake it. <laughs> um, but like, there's lots of other people that are interested in your vehicle data, even stuff as simple as like, Hey, give us the make model year and the odometer. And like, we can make a more specific warranty recommendation based on the kind of car you have and like how much you've driven. Um, well, of course, of so, course, car dealers want to know, cause they want to know oh, yeah. when to market to you. Right. They want, they want to market to you and know like, Oh, you need an oil change and maintenance and stuff. And, and I think that like the big thing that we're interested in enabling is just like some of these really simple experiences that show not just like, okay, I have this data now I have some information, but how do I move on that information? So a simple thing in our app today is you can scan for error codes and then we'll serve up two options for, um, maintenance providers, one called your mechanic. They'll actually come to your house, another repair pal. They run a big, you know, a group of certified repair shops and, 
what we're working with them on doing now is integrating it so that you as a user could actually hit a button and share whatever error code you have directly with them. And now we've cut down a step. We've cut down this like diagnostic step in the link, which you also have to pay for as a user. And in a, an experience that doesn't feel I'm managing my own data and feel like cumbersome and heavy, it's um, it's a simple way for us to deliver value to the user and actually technically like give them that that vaunted um, uh, data ownership that that is in the news that people talk about. So you you mentioned before that you have two different companies. So you have one that's kind of yeah. built the hardware, the platform, like the data collection and all that, right? Yeah. So so then the other company is figuring out more how to monetize it, right? Yep. And so how how have you best figured out how to monetize this so far? Yeah. Um, the the two ways that we're seeing today are are, are things that we've touched on, um, but I can give some more color on those. So so one is what we're talking about right now, where it's like. Um, you know, we have about a dozen providers in, in, enlisted in our mobile app marketplace right now who are interested in connecting with the drivers that are, have, you know, vehicles on the platform. So they cover things like financing, um, maintenance, of course, we've talked about. We just launched the first company that's actually doing some insurance. There's warranties. There's some other things. And all of those providers are interested in consuming data from the user's vehicles. So... Now, again, it's not like I want to get all 25,000 cars at once. The um, maintenance companies are like, give us the data from those error codes. So we have an API that says whenever somebody shows up to build, you know, build on demo and query for a specific vehicle's data, they're going to pay to consume that data. Um, we also sell the second use cases, we, we, you know, doing just aggregate data sales and we've have, you know, plenty of people. There's actually a really... It's funny, cars are so um, data rich. They do so many different things when you actually like tap into the data stream. Like one of the interesting providers is actually using the vehicle data to map cellular networks because all of these cars is a roaming cellular beacon, basically. (laughs) And the FCC requires that um, telecom companies report like once every six months, like how their network is building out and they try to develop a coverage map. And it's like there's thousands, tens of millions of cars in the US. You could build a real time cellular coverage map if you just tap into the data there so um we're working on that there's there's people that want to tap into like uh, the adas systems on cars the driver assistance systems um there's just like no shortage of ways that you can monetize either the aggregate data or allow the users to benefit from sharing their data but i would imagine a big part of your struggle though is trying to get more and more adoption right like if people that want to buy this data but you're like i don't know how to get millions of people to install it today like, is that, is that the biggest challenge you have? I, I think that that certainly like building up the number of people that are on the demo platform is, is a huge part of what we spend time thinking about. Um, there are, talk to any one of these providers and, and they want to see critical mass, whether they're buying aggregate data or whether they want, you know, whether it's a, a car marketplace or a dealer who says, Hey, we'll, we'll take, you know, we'll, we'll ingest the data from the user to decide whether we want to buy this car or how much we want to pay. They're they're more interested the more cars that are connected. Um, I think we're at an interesting inflection point in that. Most people grew up. I mean, certainly you and I. Like, there was no car app on the car I learned to drive in. No, nope. <laughs> there was no car app on the second car I had or the third. No. Nope. Now, the, my most recent car I bought came with an app, and so people are just now at the beginning wave, starting to re- starting to like experience these vehicle apps, and. You know, they only come from Toyota or Ford or BMW. Like they all make their own app. 
we are positioning the demo mobile app to be the best alternative app for your car. It's sort of like, yeah, they send you Apple music with your phone and you might enjoy Apple music, but you might want to use Spotify. You might like SoundCloud. You might want Pandora. And um, we believe that there's going to be tens of millions of drivers who say, eh, Toyota app is fine, but I'd like to use some third party app um, that tells me more about my car in a specific way. And we'd like to enable that future. So does, does your product also allow them to do like remote start and some things like that too? Depending on the car. Um, okay. so some, some vehicles actually allow, um, you know, it, you can do lock unlock. There's different things. The nice thing is that like, we can always add more functionality to the car, um, or for specific vehicles. A lot of that though is also dependent on how open the automaker is. So right. we think a really interesting facet of car buying and car ownership, again, talking about how the trends are changing is that people are going to start to really evaluate the software that's built onto their car. Like, um, this happened, I want to say it was six or eight months ago where, um, BMW pushed an update to their cars. And I think, I think it was like the remote start stopped working. <laughs> like people don't realize like cars are getting software updates in the garage now. And it's going to be like one day you wake up with your phone and you have a new version of iOS. You're going to have a new version of the Ford software on your car and something that you thought was supposed to work is not going to work. Um, well, I've, I've owned Tesla's for like 10 years now and, oh yeah, and yeah, it's like you, you wake up one day and now it's like the car can fart. Like that's a yeah. new feature of my Tesla. Yeah. It can fart like, and my kids love it. Right. right? Or, and then, then, and then, you know, a few months later, it's like, oh, now it'll play Netflix or it's like, now the car is faster. Like it, people it's are going to think a lot more about this software on their vehicles and and also the reliability on that, because there was another instance, it was a couple months ago where like the Nissan API just like went down for a few days, not just for us, like everyone who had a Nissan app, just like their app just didn't work for a few days. <laughs> um, and Tesla's like been so far the pioneer on this stuff. And as a, sort of an indicator of where this is going, they have made their own developer API. They released their own developer API about a month ago. And they said, we recognize the Tesla app is great. But, you know, the beauty of apps is that you can pick and choose the one you like best. You get a phone, there's a notepad on it, but like you can pick from thousands of different notepad apps in the app store. Right. And Tesla has said, we think that should be the case with car apps. You should be able to use Teslab or Tessie or Demo or any one of these other apps that's plugging into the Tesla API um, because you just might like the experience there better. And at the end of the day, we're making a great piece of hardware and that's complemented by whatever software you want to run on it. So we're, we're very much, you know, pushing for, and I think like helping to realize a future where other automakers follow suit and bringing this back to the data conversation, all this comes back to like, who's in control of the data and how can you use it? I love it. I, I, I could, I wish that it would make a lot of sense if car dealers, like every time they sold a car, they would just install this, right? Like every single car that leaves the dealership. Yeah. And then we actually have your dealership doing that today. And it's really interesting. They're a used car dealer and what they're, what they're interested in. They also have a shop. And so they're selling a car to a person. They're helping to install demo. And what they now have is they have this data connection to the user. So the user drives off the lot with their car. Maybe three months later, they have a check engine light. They can scan and the shop can get the error code. So right. now, instead of sending an email three months later to be like, how do you like your car? I hope everything's going okay. This shop is now data-driven. 
Right. And that's the kind of um, future that we want to enable uh, at Demo, where we can take this pretty antiquated industry when you look at the dealers and the shops and the like, and, and, and all the players that are out there and insurance companies and actually create some data infrastructure that unites all of these pieces. So what does that hardware cost them? It We have one um, version of the hardware that's about, uh, it, it's $99 on our shop. Obviously, if you're a dealer and you're buying them in bulk, it's quite a bit cheaper. Um, and then we have another version of the hardware. One of the other hardware makers makes one that's about 269 retail. And the difference oh, wow. is how much data you can collect. So one is a little bit like, do you want minimal data, error codes, some simple things like that. The other one's actually a full Raspberry Pi in, in a in a box. So you plug that into your car, you can get everything from, from the vehicle. You can get a lot more information um, and you can even run applications on that AutoPi. So it's a little bit, you know, typically we see consumers are going more for the smaller end. Um, sometimes fleets are going for the higher end device. And we expect that there's going to be probably a range of yeah. these things. I mean, even on Amazon, you know, vehicle like ODB2 dongles vary from 30 bucks to hundreds. Right. So there's just a lot yep. of variation. Yeah, it seems like over the years I've seen a few different companies that have tried to do similar sort of related things to all of this. Is, is the issue that you guys are trying to make it more of an open platform so people can do whatever they want versus the other ones were like niche specific use cases or... Yeah, that's exactly right. So like everyone's been trying to basically replicate the wheel. So, um, you know, you have had insurance companies. They send you, in the past, you could sign up with an insurance company. Hey, send me a dongle. I'll plug it into my car. I'll get a discount. Well, then, you know, if you want to use, let's say you're also renting the car on Turo and you want to be able to lock and unlock the car. Well, then you have to get a different dongle. And then you want to use, let's say, a, a company that allows you to actually do diagnostics. Neither of those first ones actually allow you to see error yeah. or information. For so now yeah, all of a sudden yeah. you have three different companies, you have three different dongles, they all have their own apps. And like, basically you can think of the hardware on our platform as like being universal hardware. So we make sure that the data is available and standardized across all these vehicles. And whether you're building an insurance application, a diagnostics application, or a pair shop application, um, a, a peer-to-peer car rental, like whatever your use case for that data is, it's coming, like the data is cleaned and ready for you to use. Yeah. The APIs are ready for you to build on. Well, I think you, you hit on the problem, right? If there's, if you are somebody that's trying to hit all of these different use cases, you can't have multiple hardware devices to do this. You got to have one, right? And you got to have a universal platform that can do this. So are you, are you then trying to work with Turo and some of these other people to try and get them to your standard? We've started conversations with pretty much every major player you can imagine in the, like that touches automotive or mobility. Um, we are, yeah. I mean, even some of the hardware providers, like we, we definitely, it's going to take a long time to convert people over to our standards and, and things. But we think that the biggest difference between what we're doing and what others have done is that like, typically these standards are built through consortiums. So you get a bunch of mm-hmm. PhDs in the room and they write standards for five years and they publish a PDF and they say, everyone should build on our platform. And then it's crickets and nobody does. And so what we've done is just start building. <laughs> we built the platform, it exists. And, and there's upgrades and plenty of things that need to happen. Um, but we built the first app through our mobile app. And now we're supporting a handful of other developers that are starting to build on it. And 
rather than going and trying to convince, you know, all the major enterprises, hey, get on our platform, it's going to be so much better. We're sort of like, like in Turo land, we're starting with Turo hosts. Um, like we, we work with tons of Turo hosts already who are just enjoying our platform and helping it make it make it better. And so when we go and have a conversation with somebody at a place like Turo, we can say, hey, a bunch of our users are already using our technology yeah. and here's why it's beneficial. Yep. Makes total sense. Yeah. Well, I do remind everybody that finding software developers doesn't have to be difficult. I know it can take forever to find them, to pay crazy staffing fees, all these kinds of things. If you visit full scale, we can make it all easy for you. you hire developers for 60, 70% less than it costs usually to hire a developer. So check us out at, at fullscale.io to learn more. So how hard is it for you guys to build this stuff? Like I imagine there's got to be some big problems with like big data and and you got to write a lot of software on this little device to figure out like what of the 25 gigabytes you actually want. Like seems like there's got to be some real challenges with like building this technology. Yeah, uh, it, those are some of them, some really, really big challenges. And, and it does start with hardware. So even though we're not the manufacturer of the hardware, we've partnered with these manufacturers, like we're intimately involved in the process of creating the right firmware, making sure that that firmware is, you know, can play nice with our mobile app and, and like with the platform more broadly. So hardware, the, the old saying is hardware is hard. <laughs> it sure is. And, um, it, you know, that, that's, that's definitely one of the biggest challenges. And then I do think that like, in terms of actually making sense of and value from the data, um, our approach has been, yeah, we could take a stab. Like we could come up with 10 valuable things to do with the data. And we have a lot of good ideas. I think about that. Um, but we also would prefer to have developers do that. So one of the developers that we're working with today outside of our company, external developer, they are working on building basically like an AI assistant for your car. So they're going to ingest lots of vehicle data in aggregate form. And then it becomes more valuable when you pair it with like, hey, here's the data on my specific car. And it can make, you know, recommendations about, you know, what to do with your car. So we at our company could have chosen to build, try and build this chatbot. But instead, what we want to do is build that, those APIs in that platform that actually allows other people to come and build on top of it. And, and that's kind of a harder job because you have to, you know, create um, documentation and, and the code has to be clean enough for others to build on it. You know, when you're just kind of building in your own silo and you're in control of the full stack, you you can kind of play a little bit faster and loose. But if you want to say, hey, every enterprise, Carfax, Carvana, and et cetera, they can come build on this. you got to have some really, really fine-tuned um, developer materials and, and code. And, and that is hard and takes time to develop. Well, did you have to build the hardware or... Or somebody else kind of already had the hardware built and you're just have them make some tweaks to it to, to do what you want. Or you didn't have to deal with building the first OD, ODB2 dongle. Right? Like somebody else had already figured out how to do that, right? In the case of our first hardware device, yeah, it was more of that ladder where like we there was a few tweaks that we wanted to add. So one one interesting tweak is that we've add, we added a secure element to the device, which is basically like this special kind of chip that signs the data for extra security and trust. Cause that's another big thing is like, how do you trust the data? Um, in the case of the second device, we actually worked a little bit more closely. It was developed from scratch because we did something pretty new and innovative with that device, which is the device is using a low power um, data backhaul, basically a, a special kind of wireless network called LoRaWAN. And it's very low power. And the cool thing is it's very cheap. 
So you can keep a car connected and get data off the car for a couple bucks a month instead of typically you're paying a, a cellular cost of five to 10 bucks a month. So um, the, because the second device like kind of had this new brand new requirement, this brand new idea attached to it, we got a little bit deeper into the weeds on making it. But you didn't actually manufacture it yourself. You no, still had a partner no. that, that yeah, did yeah, that. Yeah, we have a, a, okay. a third a partner who does that, yeah. Anybody I've ever talked to that's on hardware has like battle scars and nightmares from it. So it's, it's surely one do. of those things. That's for sure. So the, so do you still have like a crazy amount of data that gets pumped to you from all these devices, like hour by hour, like you just getting like terabytes of data a day or what, what is that like? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there's, um, it is something on that magnitude um, and it's going up like almost exponentially. I think we're like close to, um, or we passed a hundred million miles of car, like driven with, with demo devices. Um, basically like we we're working on constantly trying to make that data. I, m- I mentioned the hardest problem is like making it available through a developer platform. How do you make that made data make sense? And cause when you start getting down into the weeds of the data from vehicles, the interesting thing is like, there are sort of standards, but the there the standards that were created in a couple of decades ago were they were left with some wiggle room. So the automakers sure. have taken this um, step of developing some of their own data encryption and different codes, and you know you can't a Ford doesn't decode the same way as a Honda. Right. And one of the interesting things that has started to happen in the last five or so years is that communities of car hackers actually have gotten more in the weeds on like decoding their vehicles. Um, and some of that is driven by this, like, I would say a um, a feeling that like, if you pay a lot of money to own this car, you should have access to the data from it. And the fact that it's like encoded and encrypted is kind of bad. Um, but some of it is also being driven by like regulation and right to repair laws and things like that. Right. They're saying like people should have access to this data we don't want to go the route of a closed network where, hey, every time you have a question about what's going on in your car, you got to call up a Ford customer service rep and say, hey, can you tell me about the data, please? So we're adjusting all that data. We're like our team spends a lot of time trying to make it standardized so that we can help, you know, help serve it to clients in a in a meaningful way and then help other developers build on it. It sounds like to me that the key to your entire business strategy strategy and go to market strategy is all relying on partners, right? Like you need as many partners as possible that all want to use the platform and they yeah. are all trying to get cars on the platform, right? Like, is that the whole key yep. to your business strategy is partnerships is everything. We, we believe that the future holds um, an app store for cars and all of the automakers, by the way, are trying to build this themselves. GM is trying to create an app store for car. You can think of what you have with your Tesla today. Like, oh, it can fart. Like, why can't, the person who made the fart app is kind of a yeah. example. Why can't the person who developed that code have it run on a Nissan? The only thing that uh, stops a- that is that these are separate vehicle platforms. Tesla has their own and we have our own. So like, you know, I'll put the call out there. If somebody wants to develop a, you know, noise creation app, you know, it can do more of the farting. <laughs> it can speak to you. It can, you know, make fun other cool noises or play music. Like That should exist where like it doesn't just exist on, on Toyota, uh, on a Tesla. And the average car, so the average household in America has 2.3 cars and 90% of them have cars from two different automakers. So even if you have a Tesla with an app you love or a Ford, maybe Ford has a pretty good app too, 
uh, with an app you love, chances are you have a second car with an app you don't love. And <laughs> you would probably want more functionality that works across both cars. And that's where this like universal app store for the car comes from. Well, and I, I'm that person, like I had a Tesla and I had a Volkswagen for a while. And I honestly never even used the Volkswagen app because like, I just didn't even want to mess with downloading it and installing it. And the dealership had to do some special crap yeah. so I could like connect to it and whatever. Like it was just a pain in the ass. So I just didn't even do it. I had to, I leased the car for like three years, never used the app. The fact that there's so much stuff that you have to like call the dealer to do is, is so antiquated. And, yeah. um, you know, none of these dealers, you know, they, they use, um, there's this class of software called the dealer management system. And speaking of data, um, they're, they're actually pretty good. Dealers are pretty good at getting data from the market. So I went to the national auto dealer conference in, in January, uh, earlier this year, and you go and you look at these dealer management systems and you see how much data the dealer has when they're negotiating against you. And they're like, I can see every car that was sold in this state of the same make and model year. And you're like, well, damn, Subaru doesn't stand a chance. Like, they're <laughs> negotiating this guy. He's got this whole dashboard of information. Um, and, and so we think that that is a like data asynchronicity that like should be solved in the consumer's favor. You should have just as much information as the dealer. Um, but the thing that the dealers do not have anything at all, as we mentioned in my example earlier, they have nothing once the car drives off the lot. Right. The dealer, the, your Ford dealer, it does not have some secret data feed from Ford. Ford is not sending the data down to the dealer. No? Wow. No, they are not. Um, no one is. And and um, so, like, that is a huge missed opportunity for these dealers, whether it's selling services um, or trying to, you know... Um, maybe get them to buy it, get their next car from the same dealer. Like there's huge opportunity for these dealers to actually tap into that data and have that mutual connection with the, with the owner. There, there are so many needs for it. And most people don't realize this, that car dealers don't make any money selling cars. They make money servicing them, right? Like there, most people don't understand that the margins for a dealer are like one, two, 3% or something like that when they sell a $30,000 car, like they may actually make like a thousand or $2,000 or something like it's not a lot of money that they really make. Um, and that's the gross. That's not the net. Like the net ends up being like that two to 3%, like the net net in profit. And they take all the risk, right? They pay like right now they might be paying 10% interest to just have the damn things on the lot. Cause the, yeah. the bank rates or anything like it, so, it's, so it's a tough business. Yeah, so much of the auto industry is predicated on like how fast can I move this, and and you know whether you're at the dealer, but even upstream of that at the auction, at the transporter, yeah. at the remarketer level, like all of those people in the chain are just like, how do I move this car as fast as I can? And one hilarious fact about that whole like chain is that like hundred like millions of dollars of cars, hundreds of cars get like lost in the shuffle <laughs> the used car market is so big there's 300 million cars in the u.s and you know trillion dollar used car market like just the sheer volume of cars turning over like cars get lost in the shuffle all the time and you would think oh yeah there's an easy way to track down a gps like where the car is like no there's these huge auction lots with tens of thousands of cars moving through them every day like cars just get lost <laughs> and yeah. the fact that like you can't even solve that like there's no simple way for you know a, an auction to tap into a data stream and just be like, where is this car that was on our lot like a day ago? Is it still here? Like that's kind of wild. So for those that are listening that have 
some kind of business with a lot of data and they're trying to figure out how to monetize it. Yeah. What kind of tips do you have for them? I think that there's, um, there's a couple of tips and, and, you know, this comes from my time at Demo and it comes from working at other data businesses. Um, I think that, you know, this is probably truism. I'm certainly not the first person to say the majority of the value in your data is going to be in probably a handful of data points. And, um, you know, like it's really kind of getting down into the, like down to the bone where it's like, where is the true value? Like we might have a data warehouse filled with all kinds of stuff. Um, and there's lots of information that, that is in there, but like, how do we get down to like what people are really willing to pay for? Um, I think with any data business, it's really important to think about, um, you know, we were talking about this earlier with like the difference between data that you can move on in action right away and the data that's valuable over time. Um, most businesses are going to be willing to pay a lot more for data that is immediately actionable. Like um, people, you know, it's just like if you're solving a problem on a decision that's like a green light, red light kind of situation, like for a business, then and, and like there's some timer on that decision then the data is really, really valuable. If it's like, hey, you're going to accumulate this data for five years and maybe make a tweak to your business that improves, going to be less valuable. Um, and the other thing is just like in terms of selling that data, the, the most important thing is just like making the data easily easy to consume. Um, and that's whether that's through APIs or reports or however you're doing it, it's got to be really, really easy for the customers to consume. Well, how do you figure out who to sell it to? Yeah. Um, a lot of that can be kind of like, old school market research. We did a bunch of that when, you know, we were starting demo was just like talking to the companies that are buying data, did a little secret shopping, some of the other companies that are selling vehicle data. Um, that's just kind of like pounding the pavement in my opinion, a little bit. Um, and I'm always of the mindset that like defining a very narrow persona, because you know, you're talking about something as broad as vehicle data. And we've talked about how much data they make and all the kinds of data that they produce and all the different types of people that are interested in it. Um, you really have to kind of get more narrow. And at some point after you look at the whole world of people who might buy the data, like, okay, after we've talked to all these customers and what the pain point is, we can get a little bit more um, specific in terms of the solutions that we'd offer. Are there any marketplaces for this kind of stuff? Like you just like go to this place and like, this is where all the data nerds go. Is, is there anything like that out there? I've seen a few iterations, especially startups that are trying to do that. Um, and, and there are some, I mean, like there's various kinds of data marketplaces, you know, I like, you know, whether it's like stuff like I just market or Lexus Nexus has lots of data depending on the kind of thing you're looking for. Um, but like, I think that the problem with a lot of those marketplaces, like if you're like, Hey, I've, I've got a business, I have lots of data. I just like want to put it up for sale. Like <laughs> the marketplace is going to be passive. Like maybe people, maybe customers come along and they discover your data there and they find it. But like, um, I always think that it's like, it's way more valuable to figure out like, how are we going to productize this data specifically? And, um, you know, then go identify the customer profile that that's going to need to buy it. And a lot of that also, also often comes from just like knowing your industry super well. There's some people that make a crazy amount of money off of data. Like I talked to some guy one day that made a browser extension. I don't remember what it was, but he got people to download this browser extension for free that did whatever it did. And then what he did is he sold their data. So he knew everybody's IP address and their email address and then was able to sell that for a bunch of money because he knew the IP addresses of people's email addresses or whatever. 
Like, yeah, that's probably an anti-privacy thing right there, but <laughs> that was his business model and he made a whole bunch of money from it. Yeah. And, and again, like if you look at that, that was falls, I would assume you like, you know, depending on how you want to characterize it into like the MarTech world. Like there's all kinds of advertisers yeah. that want to buy stuff like that. Yep. Um, like that stuff exists. Like there are certain data markets that like haven't gone away for a decade now and like are probably not going anywhere. Like advertising is one of them. And like any advertiser always hungry to like, how do they enrich their data and who they're targeting? And, and they've gotten really sophisticated about that. Um, so Typically, like, yeah, if you see a bunch of companies already selling into that space, like, that's probably a good sign that there's willing buyers. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very cool, man. Well, what do you see as the future for Demo? What What is next? Where do you see this going? We're, we're focused on a couple of things. One is, you know, we're starting now to help developers build on this data. And we have some new upgrades to the API that are kind of coming out in, in the next couple of weeks and over the course of a few months as well. And when people start to use and think about their vehicle data more often, um, they're going to realize that they can put that data to work and, and we're going to help enable that. So um, next year we'll have hundreds of thousands of people that have connected to Demo and are realizing like, oh, I can share my data, my error code data with a mechanic. Oh, I can share my vehicle data with a dealer so that they will pay more for my car or, oh, I can share my data with a vehicle, a car social club where all my other friends can see where we're driving. And there could be fun use cases too. And we're going to help make um, a data-driven auto industry possible. Love it. Well, if you need to hire software developers, please keep full scale in mind. We have the people and the platform to help you build a team that works directly for you at 60, 70% less than normally cost to build a development team. We have over 300 employees in the Philippines that work for dozens of startups doing all sorts of cool stuff. Check us out at fullscale.io. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I always love to end the show with if you have any final words of wisdom or tips out there for other entrepreneurs, it could be about anything. My uh, my feeling about that is um, there's nothing quite as hard as being an entrepreneur. And so hats off to everyone who's out there trying. And I think the most important thing is, or one of the most important things is always just thinking about how you get passion from the people that are are joining the bus, getting on the bus with you, you know, your employees, your partners, um, keeping everyone motivated and going in the same direction is really hard. And, and sometimes that can feel like it's taking you away from all of the to-do list items. But number one on the to-do list has really got to be like, keep everyone excited and doing the best work of their lives. I always told everybody, it's like, my job is really, I'm a cheerleader. That's my job, <laughs> right? It's yep. like going around, getting everybody excited and rah, 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 here we go, right? Like we are we are cheerleaders <laughs> to some degree, right? That's the job. All right, well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Again, this was Alex Rawitz. Um, your company, Demo, is demo.zone, uh, demo right? D-I-M-O dot, dot zone. And um, check them out. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.